On this episode of the Pool Pro Podcast, one of our favorite guests returns, Roy Vohr. As a former microbiologist at Biolab, he is now a consultant and Pool Pro himself. He discusses the supply chain, what we can expect, and lessons learned in 2021. You're not going to want to miss this episode of the Pool Pro Podcast. Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast. I'm here with my partner, Michelle Cavanaugh. Hey, everybody. She's sitting next to a river somewhere in South Dakota with <laughs> borderline internet connectivity. So you get her pretty face in a picture, but we won't have yes. her on video today. Uh, and we're here. We're very pleased to have back with us Roy Vore. Previously of Biolab, and now uh, why don't we catch up a little bit, Roy? What have you been up to the last year since we last spoke? Hey, Roy. Uh, hey, Michelle. Uh, well, in uh, June last year, as part of uh, the pandemic, I was downsized out of Biolab. And so now I'm out operating Boren Associates. Uh, so I'm doing a, a fair amount of consulting with a few companies. But I'm also pretty much a full-time pool boy these days with my own little Ford Transit Connect uh, and a, a back end full of chemicals. And I'm running around operating a, a pretty large commercial pool and a whole bunch of residential pools here on the east side of Atlanta. So I love it. Yep. So it's like uh, I can tell you now uh, where every back road is on the east side of Atlanta. I can tell you where every quick trip is when you've got to get something cold to drink or get rid of that liquid that you drank too much of on the last Google call. <laughs> um, and probably got more suntan than I've had in the last 10 years uh, running around in the last 10 months. So There's the upside of the business right there. Yeah, and I can tell you, I don't miss all those really emergency corporate meetings that you had to prep for all the slides and uh, nobody ever looked at 30 seconds after you made them. So it's like, it's a, a little bit more relaxing these days than the tension of the corporate world. Except I completely agree, Roy, 100%. That's uh, that, that's somebody living their career backwards. <laughs> Most of us start out as a as a pool cleaner and uh, go up from there. You kind of did it the other way around. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, you get uh, enough experience there in corporate and uh, you go out and do something where it's, you know, you're getting the fresh air, you're getting to ride around, listen to flip between listening to hip hop and rock and, you know, and, and jazz and not in the corporate meetings and you find out your blood pressure drops 15 or 20 points. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's like so it's, it's not all bad being a pool boy these days no it's really not it's been a great career i've always enjoyed it you, you're you're seeing the same things that sucked me into it um it, it is it's a really great trade and it's it's a fun job yeah I, i'm having a blast I've, I've done it on and off for you know 25 years anyway and, and but it's never continuously like this for pretty much the last 14, 15 months now. So but that's, that's pretty cool. It is cool. So I, I guess the most important question I have for you right now is, uh, are you able to get chlorine? Uh, yes. Now, uh, I will say one of the advantages that, you know, I had being in corporate 
uh, that was probably like a lot of us. I was watching the, the, the biolab plant fire burn last August in there, and I knew instantly what was going to happen. Uh, I was already independent by that point, but I knew instantly. So I started actually, you know, stockpiling some trichlor probably around Thanksgiving. Uh, and uh, I didn't hoard it, but I got enough to get me through about the middle of June. Uh, and now the, the local wholesalers up here in the uh, uh, Atlanta area are starting to get some limited resupplies back in. They might have gotten all they're, they're going to get at this point. I don't know. But, but I've gotten enough just to get through the season. And, but then I'll admit I'm using a heck of a lot more uh, Cal Hypo and even Dichlor shock than I ever did last year. So it's like, but uh, it's tight and everybody's saying it's tight, but there's still chlorine out there. That's, that's what guys are here are finding. It's, you, you got to make a few extra stops and you've got to chase around a little bit to find it, but it is, it is there. Um, I, I just keep seeing a bunker somewhere with a bunch of trichlor and toilet paper at Roy's house. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think we probably actually had more toilet paper stopped up uh, in the early part of the pandemic than we had tricolor, but you know. Um, so I'm wondering just since you did work uh, work there and you uh, you do you do kind of have some some contacts and people you know, is there anything that you can tell us that maybe we haven't heard or what, what's going on with the shortage and how long it's going to last and, and what the prospects are for the near future. Uh, uh, I'll stick with the publicly available information, and, but, and part of it is I understand what it means probably a little better than some people. But, but fundamentally, the, the manufacturing capability down there on trichlor, that plant in West Virginia is where Biolab made trichlor. Uh, and then they would ship it to Georgia, and that's where they made the tablets, uh, just on the uh, east side of Atlanta. Uh, but fundamentally, when that plant burned down, uh, Biolab's ability to manufacture trichlor burned with it. Uh, and so that's when probably the single largest source of trichlor in North America. I don't know that. I don't remember all the details on that one. But that's where the shortage came from. Um, on there. So, but you know, you stop and think about it, there was probably a lot of trichlor already campaigned uh, prior to that fire. So, we didn't really start seeing a shortage until the production that had been already run had already hit the market. And that's probably when we started seeing that shortage in March or April in there. Uh, and, and that's when things started getting tight. Now, uh, what was it about four, five weeks ago, something like that, Biolab did break ground on completely rebuilding that plant in Louisiana. And it's going to be another year before that plant's back online. Uh, and if anybody followed the, the chemical industry pretty well, uh, there is one other manufacturer here in the United States, and that's OxyChem on there. But uh, some of the other, a lot of the other trichlor right now is coming out of China. That's what I was going to ask you, where, where, where what we're getting now is coming from, and is it of the same quality that we're used to seeing? Uh, 
Theoretically, it is of the same quality because uh, it has to be registered with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and there are specifications that they have to submit to the EPA when they get that registration. Just because they're manufacturing trichlor doesn't exempt them uh, in China, doesn't exempt them from any U.S. regulations. They have to be registered. They have to provide evidence of the, the suitability of that material to the EPA, and that's an independent review. Uh, so theoretically, it's of the same quality. Uh, I've heard some rumors on and off, back and forth, but nothing that you know sounds totally out of line to me on there. Uh, but un until that biolab plant goes back online, I think it's June of 2022, and that's pretty much gonna be meaning that that plant may not be able to totally supply the 2022 pool uh, season. So the shortage of U.S. manufactured trichlor is likely to exist through next summer. But knowing how the Chinese manufacture, they're just going to ramp up the plant. And so I would anticipate that there will be a large amount of trichlor coming in from China this fall uh, in preparation for next summer. So but, I think we'll be in better shape and eventually the U.S. manufacturing will catch up and that'll probably squeeze the Chinese back out of the market or all, to a large extent. Right. The, the, the fact that it's coming from China, I think there's another problem that comes into play already all of the equipment manufacturings are having problems uh, from the boats are just stacked up outside the point. If you drive uh, along Palos Verdes Peninsula or around Long Beach uh, nowadays, all you see is big cargo ships stacked up out in, out in the ocean uh, and nobody to unload them or, or they're very slow in being able to unload them. So that that could still, even though the manufacturing is not a problem, getting it here could getting it on shore could be a problem. Yeah, uh, I, the it's that uh, backup in logistics is impacting just about every industry in the United States. Yeah. Yes, it is absolutely. Yeah, and, and one of the things is you know a lot of the empty containers, the cargo containers, are stacked up and they're not getting returned back to where they're needed. So it's, it's right. a logistics nightmare. And to a large extent, it's a direct result of the COVID outbreak mm -hmm. uh, on there. So, you know, there's indications that we're beginning to work through the logistics, but I would anticipate the same kind of headaches for at least another six months. Yeah. Now, the, the fire only affected trichlor. Is, is that right? It, the, they didn't make dichlor there. Uh, has that been affected at all? Uh, I, there was an there were actually two plant explosion or two plant fires. Uh, there was the biolab plant, which was only trichlor. But then there was another one in December at Bell, West Virginia. Uh, and that was impacting a totally different uh, chlorine manufacturer on there. And I don't know exactly what they uh, were manufacturing there. I think it was dichlor on there because I'd heard rumors that that was a dichlor plant. Uh, but that is a secondary impact. And so uh, the indications were that was what was reducing some of the supply of shocks 
was that West that Bell West Virginia fire and uh, fire and explosion, and I think there was one fatality at, at the Bell West Virginia facility. Okay, yeah, because that's what's really interesting. Uh, we we talked with um, Chris Brink from Hasa at length about the problems with with the liquid chlorine, the bleach shortage, but. I mean, I've been going into my local pool court distributor and they're out of chlorine period. That's any compound that releases free chlorine into the water. They have nothing on the shelves. And that, that to me in 32 years in the industry, I have never seen times like this before. And it's been consistently over the course of the last month or so. Well, and you know, you know you've got the two plant issues, but then there was another issue uh, last year, and it kind of was unexpected uh, in some ways, but in other ways, we should have anticipated it. And that was, with everybody staying at home, how many backyard pools suddenly went in? I mean, it's yeah. like in the middle of July, I got this call from uh, this lady about five miles away from here, uh, two little munchkins, both pre-K. They went out and bought one of the big rectangular uh, bag pools of a certain mm -hmm. brand we all know, uh, and had a big deck put around it. And um, she just said it was uh, they did it on purpose just because to keep the kids busy because they weren't going into daycare every day. And so, and and I bet you every one of us that runs pools got at least a, two or three stories just like that of suddenly right. new backyard pools going in. And at least half of my customers now are people that just bought a house that didn't, and they never had a pool before, and they wanted to stay home. Yeah. Uh, right. And so now suddenly we've had this resurgence of quick pool building, particularly with the uh, above grounds. Right. Coupled with a chlorine shortage. So it's kind of been this summer has been kind of a perfect storm in some ways. Yeah. And it, what's really a shame is it should be, man, yeah, should be such a boom for our industry. This should be the best year all of us have ever had, but it's just a really unfortunate set of circumstances here. And it's not just new pools going in, but people are staying home more. People who have had pools that have never swam in them much in the summer because they were traveling are now staying at home and firing up the heater and actually using the pool. Yeah, exactly. Right. And well, and then you top on top of that, you know, we talked about the logistics issue. I mean, how many of us had problems getting new motors uh, uh, in uh, April, May, and June? Uh, I mean, it wasn't as bad as last year, it, it felt like, but it was like there was a backlog on just getting replacement parts to get those pools operating again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's, you know, for somebody like me who's trying to be semi retired, this thing's keeping me rather busy. It's my nap time. Uh, it keeps you young. Yeah, it does. So um, I, I noticed that you're going to be speaking again at the World Aquatic Health Conference. Um, you're always one of the, the favorite speakers there. With uh, What have you got for us this year? If you can give us a little taste of it without giving it all away. Uh, well, I would say that uh, uh, I have some data that has probably never been presented before about a direct comparison of both microbiology and chemistry 
of trichlor, calhypo, and bleach pools run by independent operators with data collected by a public health department. Uh, and some of it's gonna be pretty eye-opening and a lot of the chemistry is gonna be things that we thought but might not have really analyzed that deeply. So it's like we've got probably the largest data set that has ever been done uh, on a direct comparison. And uh, it's a new way of looking at the data. And uh, I think it'll be quite interesting to, to get some feedback on the way some of the, the data has fallen out. So wow. we're, we're looking at a comparison of the, the different types of chlorinating compounds, uh, like maybe each one against the other. Is that what the... Yep. You know, uh, like a large set of trichlor pools against a large set of calhypo pools against a smaller set of bleach pools. How did each perform? I mean, uh, how did they maintain chlorine? How did they maintain pH? Hardness, cyanuric acid. I mean, how, how did they compare side by side and how did that impact the microbiology? Interesting. So we'll, be, uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned for that. When, when is this going to be? When is the uh, conference again? Oh, you, uh, why don't you ask an easy question? Like, you know, how I know, many right? zeros are there between here and the moon? Uh, uh, <laughs> we bring the smart people on to ask the hard questions. <laughs> it, it's in October. Uh, in Houston, right? It's in Houston. Like, like it's like, isn't it like the? It's always usually like the second week in October. I can look at the dates, but yeah, you go to the World Aquatic Health, you know, phta.org website. There, there, it'll be on there. Yeah, it's cool. second or third week in October. Uh, yeah, nice. In beautiful Houston. Yeah, and by then it might probably be down to only 85 degrees during the day. 100% humidity still, but. Well, you know. And lots the, of bugs, lots of bugs. Uh, they're palmetto bugs. They are not roaches. <laughs> That's right, because they fly. Yes, exactly. So, so you're just kind of semi-retired, enjoying kicking back, cleaning pools. Uh, well, I was semi-retired, but uh, uh, we have this uh, situation down here in the southeast right now that the people out on the west coast can probably not relate to. Uh, we have this thing called rain. <laughs> and, and, I've heard the word. Yeah, you've heard the word. Well, you know, um, we're getting these rainstorms that, uh, let's just call them lazy. The, once they form, they're just too darn lazy to go anywhere. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm getting pools that are getting, you know, maybe a half inch to an inch and a half of water a day. Oh, my goodness. And five miles away, I'm losing half an inch to an inch of water a day due to the heat. And, and it's these little popcorn rainstorms. Uh, and uh, it, it's driving a lot of us down here crazy. So one part of your route, you can get drenched. And on the next part of your route, it's bone dry. 
And then two days later, it just flip-flops and does the other direction. So you're getting a lot of partial water changes for free. Oh, I'm getting a lot of partial uh, water changes. But one of the really fun aspects of it is because a, a lot of our, our, our rain comes from the Midwest or over from Texas and it washes over there, we get to carry over all the fun stuff that comes out of the ground over there. So we're, we're having a lot of these little uh, fun I items called mustard algae pop up. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And, and frankly, I mean, I've made my career in the last 25 years fighting mustard algae. So this is nothing new to me. But I, I bet you half a dozen times this year, I've seen mustard algae start in pools where I had four to five ppm free chlorine. Yes. At the time. We've seen that here too. I, I thought I kind of attributed it to it was late last year uh, in the fall. And I, I kind of attributed it to the stuff that had blown in from the fires, but we had the same thing in, in uh, the Pasadena area. Every one of the pools, whether they were ozone pools, chlorine pools, tablet pools, bleach pools, everybody was fighting mustard algae for a month or two. Uh, I, I don't know why. Um, it was very hard to kill. We could we could brush it off and it brushed up like brown dirt, but it was it was still there. Yeah, I mean there there's a, a number of there's at least between five and ten different species that are actually mustard algae. So mustard algae is just a catch-all term on there. Uh, the more common one down here along the Gulf Coast and on the you know uh, east of the Rockies is the the yellow light green variety in here. We do get the darker colored ones occasionally and even the ones that are almost jet black uh, on there. But, but I'm seeing a lot of the green variety down here now and, and it's kind of a pale uh, green on there. But uh, one of the tricks that I'll say on there is like, I'm carrying an awful lot of uh, polyquat with me uh, on the truck, uh, on there. And that's one of those things that I learned probably 20 years ago. Uh, if you look on, you know, I mean, the biggest mistake that homeowners, and I don't think service guys do it as often, but I've seen them do it. If you look on something like a label and, and, and I'll stick with just the polyquat label just in a moment, it says for visible algae at 11 to 17 ounces, per 10,000 gallons. So it's expensive stuff. So what does everybody do? They add 11 ounces. I can tell you from running pools for with mustard algae for 20 years, you'd be better off adding the 17 ounces in there and shocking the heck out of it and brushing the heck out of that pool because that little bit of difference is a huge difference on the impact of it. And because if you th think about it, if you've got to go back to that pool a second time or a third time, look at your labor cost, look at your transportation cost on going back in there. Mm -hmm. It's like, do not get cheap on going after things like mustard algae in there. If it says you can add that much, nuke it till it glows. <laughs> that makes sense yeah that's a great that's one of the best philosophies on algae i've heard that's that's a good one. Know, yeah right? i mean it's like uh 
take no prisoners when it comes to algae. I mean, it's like just just that labor cost of going back that you know second day or that third day, or God forbid the fourth day. Right. You know, and of course, and you know, by then you've already got a mad customer at you. Anyway, it's yes. like, I thought you were going to take care of my pool. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. So here, here's, can I have a, ask a question, Dave? I was going to ask: yeah. Is there anything, Roy, that you learn have learned since you've actually been doing pool service and maintenance the last year? Is there anything that you have learned doing it on the daily that you didn't really know prior to? I mean, you have a lot of experience, but is there anything that shocked you or that you've learned that you didn't really know before this this journey? Well, probably can't. I don't think of anything because I run field studies personally going back yeah. to 1996. Uh, so the difference is in a lot of those, I might be at the pool every three weeks or something, but you know, about half of my pools, I'm there every week now. And you know, some of my pools without kids, I'm there on a biweekly basis. Uh, right. But probably the biggest thing that I've learned is uh, on my pool route is where every quick trip is uh, in the entire county. <laughs> I hear you. Yep. Yeah, and I'm not going to mention anything about Burger King or Wendy's or Arby's, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. It's, that's part you of it. I haven't honestly been eating too much of that, Roy, because you look great. Like I said, you look, you look fit and healthy and tan, and so you're, you're doing good, obviously. Well, uh, thank you for that. It's like uh, uh, I was hoping I'd weigh a little bit less, but then uh, you know how that goes. It's probably too many trips to Burger King and Wendy's. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the downfall. Yeah, uh, one thing I can say is, is on there, and what I've learned is uh, I didn't maintain salt systems before, uh, and and so that's probably the the new experience for me. It's like. I'd say about a third of my pools right now are on salt. Uh, and uh, in many ways, they're easier. But uh, they're just as susceptible to mustard algae as anything else. Interesting. And they're just as susceptible to having too much or too little chlorine in the water. Uh, right. Unless you put an ORP feeder powering them up. Yep, and, and uh, uh, the I think the behavior that I've seen with the uh, homeowners is the same with salt pools that I've seen with it. When you sometimes when they say add this much, uh, well, I inherited a pool that just you know uh, uh, a couple of nurses that were retired bought this home and they'd never had a pool before, and the homeowner was trying that was selling it was trying to make the pool look really good. Well, when I got to the pool and tested it the first day, I think 5,000 ppm of salt might be a little bit too much for your average <laughs> salt system. You know, and even with the rain we were having, we still had to dump a fair amount of water on that one to get that one down. Yes. So, you know, I, I want to go back to the algae thing because now that I have you here as an expert, I've got a pool that I came across that I, and something I've really never seen. And it's only one pool in, in the whole area that, that, that has this, but it has steps at both ends 
and it's only about a four foot deep pool, dark plaster. The steps get covered with the prettiest bright green algae I've ever seen. And it's kind of, if you don't, if it goes a week without being brushed and is allowed to grow it, it's almost kind of furry. I've never, I, that, that's a rare thing in California. I don't, I don't see that kind of algae that often, but I have this pool. I just can't seem to get rid of it. You say it's kind of furry-like. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's not your typical powdery algae that kind of dusts up. It's just more. No, and it's very hard to brush off. It's like attached. This is like a, like a healthy green growing pond algae. Sounds to me like you have the classic black algae. And, you know, I mean, th this is one of the, the problems that we've got with the terminologies we use here. I mean, so what color is mustard algae? Well, most of it is not mustard color. It is, it, it varies in color from white green to yellow, to dark green, to black. It, it's really mustard algae. We need to think of it as, as a physical description of the way it brushes, not of the color on there. Right. Uh, you know, and then, you know, in, in the most bizarre thing I've seen on mustard algae, and this was like 25 years ago here in Atlanta, this one pool would get it all the time and it would start and it would have these great big two, three foot diameter circles of algae on there. And it looked like chicken pox or measles or something. And it would just spread across the entire pool. And it, it was gorgeous to look at as a biologist, but it was like horrendous to get rid of on there. Uh, but, you know, the black algae, of course, black algae is not algae. It's actually filamentous bacteria. And what you're describing is something that's kind of furry or stringy. It probably not stringy, but it's 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 um it, it's uh maybe even a little bit sticky. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's probably a black algae, and black algae, you know, goes from very light green to dark green to black. And I've grown it in the laboratory, not a, from pools, but I've grown red algae you know, in there. We don't get red algae in pools. That's a different thing altogether on there. But you've got something. And if that is a black algae, it's filamentous on there. Uh, and, you know, and typically, if you look back at uh, some of the stuff that uh, Rudy Stankiewicz put out of Florida, particularly on there, it's like it will send roots into the, the surface area. And so the only way to get rid of something like that is you have to apply a dose at the surface and you concentrate the dose at the surface. Uh, and the, the reason that we get black algae and mustard algae is we do not have that concentration of chlorine at the surface. Our chlorine is in the water and there's actually a chemical gradient as we get close to that surface. And I'm only talking, you know, like a millimeter difference in, you know, difference, but that makes the difference in concentration quite a bit. And that's why brushing mustard algae works as you get it up into the water column. But you're, Dave, you just may have to apply some spot treatment uh, on that, on those steps. <clears throat> What kind of threw me about this, uh, you might be right, it might be black algae, but 
I, all black algae I've ever seen is like you say, it's in spots. It, it finds a, a, a weak spot, a hole in the plaster and gets down where the chlorine can't get to it. And then it starts to, to grow and it can, if you don't treat it, it'll kind of puff up and get kind of furry. But this is like a, a complete carpet over the, all, the whole length of all three steps on either side going down in the pool. Yeah, but it's like, this is one of the things that we don't, you know, you and I have been out in pools enough. Some years you see weird stuff that you never see again. This is one. Yeah, and, and I, I remember, uh, oh, it must have been 96, 97, I got called up to uh, Newburgh, New York. Uh, and there was this outbreak of stuff up there. And it must have been in a dozen pools. And it was filamentous. It looked like the, the, the fuzzy lichens on trees. Mm -hmm. and, and it was just everywhere in Newburgh, New York. It was never there again. And, you know, and so you might have one of those very peculiar things where there, you know, I mean, there are tens of thousands of different species of algae. Right. And you just might be the lucky one to have <laughs> <Yeah>. a brand <laughs> new variety. <laughs> yeah. oh, I feel now, lucky, all right. No, 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 there's an easy way to figure out exactly what kind of algae that is. Get a sample of it, send it to Rudy Stankowitz down there in Florida and make him find out for you. That, yeah, there that's, you go. that's worth doing, I think. I, I, I'm, I think I'm going to take that, that route on this because this is something I've never seen it before. I literally drained the pool, pressure washed it. And, and treated it with chlorine and filled it back up and it looked beautiful. It was perfect for about two weeks and it all came back like overnight, just boom. So th it's, um, this is the well, first thing that, that, right? that I haven't been able to solve on my own in probably well, 32 yeah. years. This is the first thing I've come across. Okay, but maybe perhaps we're thinking of algae in the wrong way. Just, just think about algae in a different way. If algae was so easy to control, you and I wouldn't have a job. Yeah, right. So in some ways, sorry, pool guys, but algae is our friend. Algae is our friend. <laughs> well, um, that's, that's a new way to look at it for sure. <laughs> Uh, we, we probably don't want to tell too many pool owners that, but you know, yeah, that wouldn't that I, I have a few that that would not particularly go over well with. No, I agree. Yeah. I think yeah. that, that's a great idea, though, Roy. Well, Dave, why don't you do it like put it on video and send the video to Rudy? Yeah, you know, like, and I think even scraping up a little sample of that stuff and send yeah. I, I got sending it somewhere. Um, but I, I will reach out to Rudy. You're right. That's that's a great, great call. We do not really teach how to get through a summer like we're having right now when we're, we're teaching operating classes. And, no. and, and we, we, we all get tunnel vision about how certain products work. Uh, and it's like, and I've been talking to a number of pool operators and you know even at different companies on there and None of them really ever thought about that. You know, I mean, down here in Georgia right now with the rain, you walk up to a pool that's a little bit low on chlorine. 
and you want to shock it so you want to get out of there. You got a couple of choices. I mean, you can shock it with dichlor. You can shock it with cal hypo. If it's a salt pool, you can hit it with monopersulfate, you know, and oxidize it in there. But one of the things that we never teach is that the advantage of a cal hypo is if you've got a lot of rain, you can add calcium back into the water. We know that, but we don't teach that as an operating tool. Mm -hmm. And mm. all right, you walk up to a fresh filled uh, saltwater pool. You want to get some cyanuric acid in it. All right, so now you can get out your big jug of dry cyanuric acid and you can put it in there and try to dissolve it. And it's going to take a week, right? It's not going to dissolve. Or you can shock the heck out of it with dichlor and yeah. walk away in 10 minutes. We're not teaching that there are times that it's easier to use this versus that. Mm -hmm. And that it's is like true. we figure it out on our own, but nowhere in any operating class, in any operating seminar, have I ever attended, have I ever heard somebody say, oh, I got too much rain uh, in my, you know, uh, hardness and my vinyl pool was down to 130. And, you know, I had 0.6 ppm free chlorine. So I dropped in four pounds of cal hypo and, you know, I was gone. You know, it's a good point, Roy. Very good point. Yeah. And, and it's like, why isn't that in the books? I'm, gonna, I'm looking right at your picture, Michelle. I mean, you used to be associated with a certain uh, company that used to teach that kind of stuff. I'm blaming you, Michelle. It's my fault. Oh, I see. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's Is that the same company that you trained the instructors, Roy? I know. Thank you, Dave. Oh, damn. Both of us owe Dave a beer now. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a newly minted CPO instructor as of this year, and, and uh, it was your video. Uh, one of the training videos in our class was your uh, was you, you teaching a chapter on uh, yeah. the last chapter of the book, I believe it was. Yeah, well, which one was that? It's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, it would have been. It takes me a long time to reach my manual. Are you still on the education committee, Roy? Oh, facility renovation and design? No, no, no. It was... Uh, uh, record keeping or... That was it. Yeah, record keeping. Uh, uh, yeah. How to make a plan, uh, put a plan together. Yeah. Maintenance plan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's like... Uh, uh, Probably that's one thing we can talk about. It's like uh, 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 the instructor class for uh, that Dave's talking about is, is probably a rather challenging class for most people to go through. I agree. Uh, I would say it is among the more challenging classes that I went through, and I probably got more graduate hours than most people have undergraduate hours. Yeah. Uh, uh, and of course, it was like if. I failed it after I had been speaking at World Aquatic Health Conference for a half a dozen years. It would have looked rather bad. Uh, so I felt a little bit of pressure on that. But it's like, but uh, we're, we're, we're getting the class back in person again at World Aquatic Health Conference. That class is already full. Uh, and I'm so sure it is, yeah. Yeah, so there are classes coming up on there. But if somebody's interested in it, uh, it's a very strong challenge, big challenge to get through. It that. is. Uh, yep. 
uh, you can you can prepare prepare to teach a chapter and think you've got it all down pat and you've got your spiel and your uh, points that you want to articulate and they start poking holes in you <laughs> yeah uh hey i got blasted on a few points that i didn't understand so uh, i'm with you on that one but uh yeah those of us that are instructors it's amazing the amount of material that is in the book. Uh, so, it, I mean, it, it is going through a rewrite right now, uh, but it's like, it's an amazing manual that's got a lot of quick references in it. Yeah, yes, that's it great. It's, and it's, it's really, um, it's not designed to be everything you need to know to, to uh, service a pool, but it's a great primer in the basics and a jumping off point for the things you are interested in, want to learn more about, things you find out you need to know more about. Um, it's, it is a, a terrific just base education, a great place to start if you're new in the industry. And it's Agreed. not just, uh, the big mistake I think a lot of people make is they think, well, I don't service commercial pools, so I don't need that. I know, um, that's a mistake. It, it teaches you how to think about a pool, how to maintain a pool. It, it, it impresses upon you really the enormous responsibility you're taking on. When you, when you take on uh, a pool, you're taking responsibility for the health of the people that swim in it. You're taking responsibility for a significant investment that people have made. And um, it's kind of sobering. Yeah, so I, I would encourage anybody uh, that is servicing in a pool is to take the CPO course. I mean, I mean, uh, out there on uh, the left coast, you've got a large number of instructors out there. Uh, so there's a plenty of classes out there. It's like, it might not be a great time right now to be taking a course, but you know, we'll be getting closer to October, November and next spring. It's like, if you haven't taken the CPO course, it teaches you a lot of different aspects uh, you know, and, you know, one of the things that you're looking at is like, how secure is that backyard? I mean, are you able to advise a, a homeowner on maybe you ought to have a better fence? Or right. maybe mm -hmm. you need some grounding and bonding on that above ground pool that you don't have. I run into that all the time. So there's little bits of information that I had seen, but I'd never put into a comprehensive picture until I took the CPO course. Right. Roy, thank you so much for your time today. It's always great to get your uh, your input on things, and we appreciate you coming back on after after a year of after a really crazy year and a half. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's been that long since you know you guys had me on here. It's like it it, it has been a crazy eighteen months, though. We we all yeah. agree on that. Well, hopefully, hopefully things are going to start evening out a little bit and, and uh, who knows what normal is going to look like, but hopefully it'll be a semblance of it. And, and uh, we're definitely going to look forward to uh, uh, your presentation at the World Aquatic Health Conference. And we hope that you'd come back and talk to us again at uh, some time and we have something new. Yes. I'll come back anytime you guys need me. Thanks, Thank Roy. you so much, Roy. We appreciate you. Okay, bye all. Bye, bye now. A new voice in the industry. 
a resource for all, education for you. This is Pool Pro Podcast. Build relationships and share important news as we get ready for our next backyard adventure. Pool Pro Podcast. Backyard adventures are better together. Please take a moment to share, like, and review our content with all of those that would be interested.